Good morning. Welcome everyone here this morning at church for the service, along with those that are listening on the radio. Uh, announcements this morning: There will be uh, a Sunday school teachers Sunday school teachers meeting next Sunday after Sunday school in the social room. Next Sunday is All Saints Sunday, and we will all celebrate communion together. Today is the last New Knoxville Historical Society open house for the season. You uh, can join them between 1 and 4 at the Heritage Center on 106 East German Street. See the new displays in all five buildings that reflect our treasured heritage. The entire community is invited, and they want to thank us for our support. On the back pages of your bulletin today is information on two, two great projects, Operation Christmas Child and the Allgoyce County Crisis Center. Uh, if you would take a look at those and see what we can all do to help. Let's begin the worship with standing for the call to worship and our opening hymn. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord our Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We will continue singing hymn number 26, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
this time we'll ask the children to come forward for the children's chat with Mrs. Lammers, and we can greet our neighbors while that's going on. talk about candy. I'm sure you haven't thought about candy for at least 24 hours, right? Nobody has any candy at their house? You do. Well, then maybe I don't need to share mine. (laughs) You think that's funny, huh? Well, we're going to talk about M&Ms. How many of you like M&Ms? Ah, what letters on the front of M&Ms? M. We're going to talk about M&Ms. And how they're like Christians. If we were an M&M and we had an M marked on us, that means that God has stamped us for his ministry. You know what that means? That means to go out and share his word with everyone that we meet in our actions, how we behave and everything. So we have a purpose. God has a purpose for each and one of us, and that is to be in his ministry, to share his good works and about his good word and everything. Now, M&Ms are all yellow, right? No. No, what colors are they? Every, every color. Every color, almost. I haven't seen a purple M&M yet. What colors are they? Red. Red. You know what a red M&M means? Hmm? Orange, yeah. And blue, yellow, perfect. Brown, yeah. You know, if you were a red M&M, that means you're red hot and you're bold. It means you're brave. How many think you'd be a red M&M? Hmm, brave. All right. Now, how many of you think if you were a blue M&M, that you're very calm and dependable and solid. How many of you would be blue? Hmm. Now, if you were green, you'd be very analytical. Now, Caleb knows what analytical means. Then You don't. <laughs> okay. It means you're able to figure things out. Now, see, he builds things, so he figures that, that stuff out. And he's very organized, practical, and very decisive. It's like an engineer. They have to be very, very decisive. How many of you think you'd be green? Yes, Caleb would definitely be green. Now, if you were orange, you'd be very outgoing. Now, the Upperman girls would be orange, wouldn't they? 
yeah, you're very outgoing and you're very assertive. But you also got some of that bold red. So we're all a mixture of everything. Brown. If you were brown, you'd be warm and inviting and trustworthy and wholesome. You'd be brown too. You're going to be rainbow ones. Yeah. Yeah, and all of, and you know that's what makes us different. I raise my hand for everything. You raise your hand for everything, hmm? But you know, God has made each of those M and M's different, and He's made each one of us different to use our gifts and what we do best to work in His ministry or sharing His word. Now, what's the best part about M and M's? Chocolate. They are filled with chocolate. That you don't have to like them. Oh, that you don't have to like them? Don't you like M&M's? Oh, gosh, I've got a couple more then for me. That they're filled with chocolate. And you know what God fills us with? What we're filled with? His love. We are filled with God's love. Now, if that M&M didn't have any chocolate in it, what would be left? Just the outside shell. Would that break easy? It would break real easy. It wouldn't last very long. And it's just like us. If we're not filled with God's love, like the M&M is with chocolate, then we're fragile and we're empty too. So M&Ms are pretty special talking about how we can be a Christian. God's love is made to be shared just like an M&M's. So today when I give you a package of M&M's, you take two packages and you share one of those packages with someone. Just like you'll learn to share God's love with everybody you meet. Because spreading the good news is our ministry. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children and help them go for that goal of your love and eternal life in heaven, just like Paul kept striving towards the goal of loving Christ and working towards heaven's goal, let us also do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you. Keep in your thoughts and prayers the following of our soldiers who were lost in the last weeks in Afghanistan, starting with Sergeant Douglas J. Riney, 26, from Fairview, Illinois. In the same attack, Michael G. Sorrow, 40, from McAllister, Oklahoma. In Iraq, supporting the operation to retake Mosul, Chief Petty Officer Jason C. Finan, 34, from Anaheim, California. During the same period, two journalists were killed, and within the last week, hundreds are being killed currently in the effort to retake Mosul. Thank you, Jay, for that important reminder and the need to continue to pray for our troops and our soldiers who are putting themselves in harm's way for our sake. Thank you for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for 
this reminder this day of the sacrifices that others make on our behalf. Uh, I pray that you would protect them. I pray you'd be with the families of those who lost loved ones recently. And I pray that as, as this war continues uh, in, in Iraq and in, the middle, in all in areas of the Middle East and the harm that's being done there, that you would bring an end to it, Lord. That you are the Prince of Peace. And I pray that, Lord, we, we look forward to the day when all wars will cease, as our call to worship described, when, when, when the shields will be on fire, the, the, the bows will be broken. Lord, we look forward to when there will be no more wars and there will be no more violence when your reign and your kingdom will come. And I pray now that, that while we're not there yet, uh, we do look forward to that day. And, and in the meantime, we do pray for our soldiers, for those who are putting themselves in harm's way, that you would protect them, bring them home safely again to their families. And for those who are not going to be able to return home, that you would be a source of comfort and strength and peace for their loved ones. Lord, we also uh, remember that today is Reformation Sunday. Uh, Lord, and, and the reminder of, of uh, our, that our faith is alive, that we serve a living God and a faith that is ever, ever growing and ever maturing in us. Uh, the Reformation was not just an event that happened almost 500 years ago, but it's something that continues on in our lives and in our faith as we constantly grow and mature in our, in our knowledge of you and our relationship with you. I pray that we as a church would constantly be ever reforming, uh, ever looking forward to, to what you have in store for us, always uh, looking back to your word as a foundation of truth and foundation of grace in our lives. And may we as, as a church, but also as individuals, uh, take hold of that. Uh, that's one of the, the principles, one of the things that grew out of the Reformation is, is being able to have your word, have your scriptures in our own language. And what an honor and privileges that we often take for granted uh, that we can go home and, and open up the word and understand it because it's written in a language that we can comprehend. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that. Pray that we no longer take that for granted, but, but dig into your word and, and grow in that way. Uh, Lord, help us to, especially this day, Reformation Sunday, remember that and take hold of that. Thank you, Lord, for the way you constantly work in this church and in our own lives. And pray you'd continue to do so, continue to be that ever-faithful, ever-living God who is at work and in, 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 in faithfully uh, working faithfully in the lives of your children and in your family. Thank you, Lord, uh, for all you do for us. And, Lord, it would be uh, remiss for us to forget those who, who are in need at this time, those who are in need of healing, who are in need of comfort, uh, and, and those who, who could not be with us, Lord, physically, but are possibly even listening in on the radio. We want to lift them up in prayers. And, and pray that you would be with them and be there, be whatever it is that they need at this moment. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time, including the Rohrbaugh family, who will be presenting uh, some special music for us.
shackled by a heavy burden. Neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me.
You may be seated. Today we continue our uh, look at the book of Philippians. Uh, Our chapter today is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are in the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Adam. Let's stand and sing. I've got to turn my bulletin over. Number 210, Jesus paid it all.
Amen. You may be seated. A pastor I know once told the story of a, a church that he had heard about uh, during the height of the, the Jesus people movement, you know, back in the, I think it was the 60s, uh, where, where a lot of people were coming to Christ out of, out of the, the culture where, where long hair, beards and stuff were pretty, uh, pretty popular, kind of similar to today if you think about it. Uh, but there was this church, and, and I'm not going to say where, he, where, it was, where it was located, but this church uh, was seeing a lot of people come to Christ through their ministry, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, praise God for, for that ministry and the pastor that was working there. But at this church, because they were reaching so many people who were a part of this, this Jesus people culture with their long hair and their beards, they actually installed a barber's chair right there in the church. So as people were coming to Christ, the next thing that they would do is they would usher them towards this barber chair, and there was somebody there that would cut their hair. They'd cut that long hair off. They'd shave their beard because, because in their mind, right, in order to truly be a follower of Christ, you needed to get your hair cut. You needed to look the part, right? So you had to get rid of that long hair. You needed to shave that beard off in order to be a Christian. And now, now I'm not saying that their ministry was ineffective or, or that they were uh, not true Christians because of what they were doing, but, but what this church is doing is they're placing a requirement on top of the gospel. They were, they were saying that in order to truly follow Jesus, in order to really be a Christian, in order to be really authentic in your faith, you needed to not only accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you not, not, needed to not only acknowledge what he's done for you, but you need to also go and, and look the part. You need to get your hair cut. You need to clean yourself up in order to truly be a Christian. And if you refuse to do that, then maybe you just didn't really love Christ like the rest of us. You see how that, uh, how that attitude uh, crept into the church at that time? Uh, and, and that's exactly the kind of idea that Paul is trying to talk about here in this passage, the attitude that he's trying to rebuke within the Philippian church. And, and really a lot of the churches uh, that he dealt with at that time, uh, the church in Galatia was another example. Uh, but what, what we see here is a, is a testimony that Paul is trying to, trying to get them to understand that what matters is not what we can do ourselves to earn our salvation, but but simply what Christ has already done for us. And I think it's so interesting that this passage fell on Reformation Sunday. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Reformation, it was actually next year, 2017, will actually be the 500th year anniversary of uh, when Martin Luther posted his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, which kind of sparked, that was kind of the unofficial beginning of the Reformation. But one of the, one of the principles that came out of that movement, uh, that, that theologians and scholars look back, they give it the term sola fide, only faith. Faith alone is what saves us. It's not our works, it's not what we do that earns our salvation, but it's, but it's simply our faith in Christ and what he has already done for us. And that's one of the major principles that came out of that Reformation. So uh, I can pretend like I planned it out this way. <laughs> I can pretend like it was my idea. But just the way that the, the scriptures fell, the way that, that it worked out as, we, as, as I planned out this uh, series on Philippians, it just so happened that this passage that deals with that very issue happened to fall on Reformation Sunday. So I think, uh, praise God for how he worked, out that, how, how he worked that out 
and, uh, and I think it's just appropriate that we're talking about how only our faith, only, our, only what Christ has done for us is what saves us, not what we do for ourselves. The overall message that Paul is, is communicating to the Philippian church here is that even our most admirable human efforts, even all of the good things that we can do for ourselves, even those things fall short of what God desires for us, the, the requirements that God has put out for salvation. And so therefore, God has provided a means of grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, all the stuff that we can possibly do for ourselves, no matter what haircut we get, right, no matter what we look like or where we're born, none of that stuff matters because we've all been tainted by sin. We all fall short of God's glory. Even the most prolific human achievements, as Paul goes on to describe in this passage, even those things fall short compared to what Christ has done for us and what, what we need to do for ourselves in order to be saved. Therefore, then again, we must reject this, this false teaching, this idea that we need to somehow add on to the requirements of grace. We need to add on to what Jesus has already done for ourselves. And that's a problem that we continue to struggle with today, isn't it? We may not acknowledge it in that way. We may not, you know, put a barber's chair, you know, somewhere in this church or anything like that. But we, we add on requirements to what God has already done for us. We say, yes, you, you can be a Christian, you can follow Christ, but you also have to then do these things before God will really love you. You must look a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way in order to qualify for God's grace. Now, though we see in Scripture that there is some expectation that obedience will follow faith, and we'll get to that, but, but we need to make sure we keep things in the right order. Obedience follows faith. Faith doesn't follow obedience. In, order, in other words, right, there is an expectation that we will grow, we will mature in Christ, that over time we will go through the sanctification process that we talked about a couple weeks ago. That over time we will become more like Christ. We will start to act and look more, act and look more like Him. But we don't need to do that in order to earn His love. We do it out of the love that He's already shown us. And that's the, that's the theme that we're gonna develop here in this passage. And so Paul starts off by saying that he's writing this message. He's writing this letter in order to safeguard the church. Talks about how, uh, we can, we even, uh, should rejoice in this teaching that He's giving us. And that joy, again, is a repeated theme that comes up over and over again through this letter. Right? Joy is what connects this teaching, again, to the passage, passages that we already looked at. Paul already said that we should have joy amidst hardship. Right? As Paul was sitting in prison and experiencing that sort of persecution, he had joy. He even talked about having joy even through Epaphroditus' near-death experience that we talked about last week. And so now he's saying we should also rejoice and have joy in the midst of dealing with this false teaching and this false gospel. And so he, he's writing to safeguard, uh, safeguard his, this church in Philippi. The idea of safeguarding talks about keeping the foundation of the faith safe from the weaknesses that's caused by, by false teaching. The foundation of our faith is, is very important because if we allow our theology to get off track, it affects what we believe and how we live. That's why theology is important, because what we believe impacts the way that we live our lives. And if we have some false teaching, if we have some idea that we need to somehow earn our salvation, then that's going to impact how we live and how we view God and, and, and how we view others as well. And so this idea of, of trying to protect the, the faith that was passed down, we see that also in Jude, 
the third verse. Uh, Jude write, is writing, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. This idea of uh, trying to protect our hearts, protect our lives from, from allowing this false teaching to creep in. And so what, the question then is, what is Paul trying to safeguard the people against? Right? What is he trying to protect them from? And, uh, and we can see here, we can deduce from this passage that, that he's referencing a group of people that has become known as the Judaizers. In other words, there were people that were trying to get Gentile Christians, people who were not Jews by birth, to begin to act like Jews in order to be saved. They said, it, to put it more simply, in order to follow Christ, in order to be a Christian, they needed to start acting and living like Jewish people. And all of the stuff that came with that, the kosher laws, right? You had to eat certain foods and, and Sabbath laws. You could only do certain things on certain days of the week. And, and the, the one that was the most obvious, um, the, the one that was connected the most with the Jewish people was the, the rite of circumcision, needing to uh, follow the Jewish circumcision laws. And so they had, there was this group of believers, this group of Christians that were going around to these churches in places like Philippi and saying, in order to really be a Christian, you need to start acting and living like us. You don't really love Christ. You don't really love God until you start acting this certain way. And so this, this was a big deal in the early church, so big of a deal that they actually had to form a council. The very first council in Christian church history was described in Acts chapter 15, and it was about this very same issue. And in verse 5, we see it spelled out for us. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 5. It says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and are required to keep the law of Moses. And so this is a very big issue in this, in this passage. And we, we can pick up on that. This is what the issue is about because Paul calls these people mutilators of the flesh. Now, I'm going to let that just hang out there. You can talk with your kids about what that means and, uh, and what Paul is referencing there. But, but that's, that's the indication that here he's talking about people who are promoting this idea that, that in order to truly follow Christ, they must first be circumcised. And the issue here is that, that they're trying to add something to the gospel. Just like that pastor back in the 60s was trying to force people to get a haircut in order to truly follow Christ. Uh, these people were... were promoting the idea that in order to truly be a Christian, in order to truly be accepted by God, they must first start living a certain way and doing a certain thing. In other words, they were saying obedience must come before faith. That we need to obey in order to earn God's love and earn God's acceptance. And Paul obviously teaches that that is not the case. Whenever we try to add something to the gospel, we actually take away from it. There was a, past, or a, a professor I had in seminary. His name was Terry Wardle, um, and, and he taught several, a couple of my classes. And, and one of the things that he, he talked about was this idea of a Jesus plus gospel. And it's really easy for this to sneak into our churches and sneak into our own lives as well. The idea that the, the Jesus plus gospel is that, that we need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Right? We need to acknowledge that he died for us and paid for our sins on the cross plus start living a certain way. That, that somehow Christ's death on the cross, his atoning death for us, wasn't enough. 
that we need to add to that certain requirements in order to be saved. We need to add on to that people who we, we expect people to start living a certain way and talking a certain way and, and doing certain things in order to earn God's grace. That's the idea of the Jesus plus gospel is that we, we as humans, we add on to what God has already done for us. And when we do that, what we're actually doing is we're taking away from the, the, the amazing grace that God has offered to us through Christ. When we start adding our own requirements on top of that, we're taking away what Jesus has already done for us. We're saying that, that God's work on the cross wasn't enough for us, <laughs> that we need to add on to it, that we somehow need to finish the job that God only started on our behalf. And when we do that, we're, we're clearly taking away from what Scripture teaches that, that Christ's death on the cross was enough for us, that it paid for our sins one and, once and for all, and that that is enough for us to be saved. Anything that we add on top of that is, is simply our own doing, our own requirements that we're, we're adding on there. If grace must be earned, it's not grace. Right? Grace is the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And if we start adding requirements on top of that, it's not really grace anymore. It's something that we must earn. And that's a, that's a problem that we continue to face even today. But Paul says here that, that we are now the true circumcision. He's, he's using this as a contrast between what, what these Judaizers are promoting and what the, what the true faith says. He calls them dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. The strong language shows that Paul had a, had a pretty strong concern about what they were teaching and the gospel that they were promoting. It actually sounds quite prophetic if you think about it. If you look back at the Old Testament prophets and at some of the things that they would say in order to get their point across, Paul's sounding pretty prophetic here in this passage. But he goes on to talk about how, how believers, both Gentiles and Jews, are now the true circumcision. And the reason that Paul, I think, grabs onto this more so than any other aspect of the law of Moses was because circumcision was the sign of the covenant. It was a sign that God gave Abraham, you know, hundreds of years before Moses was even on the scene. It was circumcision that was the sign of the covenant, whether or not someone really belonged to God's people. But even then, it was simply just an outward sign of an inward reality. It was it was an outward symbol of what that of what God had already done for them. And so what Paul is doing here is he's taking this physical symbol, he's taking this outward reality and turning it around and saying that we are, it's no longer about uh, a physical circumcision. It's no longer about that, but it's about a matter of the heart and a matter of the spirit. And Paul didn't come up with this idea all on his own. Uh, we see in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, that this idea was, was, was God's idea from the beginning, all the way back even in the Old Testament, before the birth of Christ. God says to the prophet Jeremiah, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel, After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You see, it was no longer about 
physical circumcision. It was no longer about these laws that were written on these stone tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, but it was about the law that was written on our hearts and our minds. It was no longer an external external uh, obedience to some law, but it was about internal transformation and a matter of the heart that God would would no longer, or excuse me, that God would now, through His Spirit, through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it would be a matter of changing our hearts. And that's something that no external law or external act could possibly do. It's only something that God can do by His Spirit. See, circumcision of the heart was now the requirement for entry into God's kingdom, not some sort of physical circumcision. And it's done by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives that makes the difference. That's the proof that that we belong to God. It's not some outward act or some outward appearance, but it's the Spirit's presence in our lives. As Peter was going out in the the early days of the church, and he was the first one to encounter uh, and preach to the Gentiles. We think of Paul often as the as the apostle to the Gentiles, but it was actually Peter who first did this. He he was uh, sent by God to a man named Cornelius in his household. And these Gentile believers, as Peter preached and explained to them the gospel, it describes how the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they be, they received the Holy Spirit just as the Jews did. And so Peter recognized that, that that was the difference. How can they deny that God was working in their lives when, when it, so obviously the presence of the Holy Spirit was there? That's, that's the indicator, true indicator of whether someone belongs to God's people, not some sort of outward sign. And so therefore, it's not what we can do, it's not what we've done for ourselves, but it's only what Christ has done for us. So our confidence is in Him and not ourselves. We boast and we can glory in Christ, not what we've done. And so our only hope, Paul goes on to explain, is that, is that in Christ, not in ourselves. We have no confidence in the flesh. And the flesh often is a description of our human weakness, frailty, and tendency to sin. Right? We have this sin nature in us. We have this tendency to reject God and reject the, his, his desire for our lives. And it's only by His Spirit that, that that flesh can be transformed and our heart can be transformed. And so we can't we can't put our confidence in ourselves. We can't put our confidence in our good works. We must fully embrace what God has done for us and put our confidence only in Him. And so Paul goes on to describe that if anyone has confidence in the flesh, if anyone can boast, if anyone can brag and somehow earn their salvation, it was Paul. Right? He goes on to, to give this list of accomplishments. And some of them were his by birth. Right? He, t- he describes his racial identity. He was born in the right place at the right time to the right tribe, to the right people. And so he had this, this right by birth, right? And, he was, and his parents followed the law. He was circumcised, right? He, he followed all of those laws and all those traditions. And there were achievements that he also earned himself. He followed the teaching of the Pharisees, which was the leading religious group of that day, right? So he, he followed the right people and the right teachers. He did all of the right things, he was zealous, or in other words, he was passionate for the faith, even to the point of persecuting the early church because he thought that they were, they were somehow corrupting or destroying the faith. And he says, according to the law, he was faultless. That's a pretty big statement there, that, that, that he was able to uphold the law, at least on a surface level in his life. And so Paul is saying, look, if anybody has earned their salvation, if anybody has the right to brag about it, it's me. But he says that's not the point. 
He says, compared to knowing Christ, compared to experiencing the grace that Christ has offered, all of those things are worthless. None of it matters. None of it can compare to what God has done for us. And that's the important thing for us to take away from this passage. It's not that those things are bad. Don't, hear, don't, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to share with you. Those accomplishments were good. It was good for him that he, you know, he was faithful. He was, he was trying to do what he thought was best. And so those earthly accomplishments, the things that we do in this life, aren't evil in themselves. They're not bad things. They're good things. But the problem is when we put confidence in those things that they'll somehow save us. That because I'm a good person, because I go to church every Sunday, because I give money to the church, because I volunteer at the soup kitchen, that God will somehow love me more than someone else. That those things somehow earn my place in God's family. But that's simply not the case. Paul says those things are worthless. They're garbage compared to what Christ has done for us, compared to knowing Him. Dr. Wardle, who, who first introduced me to this, idea, this phrase, Jesus plus gospel, he described the birth of his, one of his grandchildren. He said this child was born early with some complications. Right? And there, in this child, there was nothing that they could offer. This child, you know, the, the doctors rushed him off to the ICU, the NICU, and, and this child couldn't survive on its own. It couldn't breathe on its own. It couldn't do anything on its own. There was nothing that this child could offer to save itself. And yet they loved that child more than anything. They accepted that child as part of their family before that child could even take a breath on its own. And it wasn't because what that child could do for itself. It wasn't the, the gain that somehow that child could bring to their family. It was simply because that child had the wardle name. Right? That child was a part of that family simply because it was. And that's the kind of acceptance, that's the kind of love, that's the kind of grace that Christ offers to us. The New Testament describes that when we receive Christ, when we put our trust in Him, we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. And that's what the difference is. It's not what we do for ourselves, it's what Christ has done for us. Paul talks about how we are in Christ It's this idea of a relationship. It's this idea of of when we know Christ, it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just an assent to some knowledge, right? You can memorize the entire Bible and still not really know the God of the Bible. It's about having a relationship with Him. It's It's about growing in that. And when we're in Christ, when we gain Christ, it's about having that relationship. When we arrive at the pearly gates, right? When we are standing before God on the last day, like Paul says, all of our earthly accomplishments will be garbage. They will be worthless to us at that point. The difference is whether or not we are in Christ, whether or not we're a part of his family. Like that small child who could not survive on its own, right, was loved and accepted by that family on no merit of its own. We are accepted and loved by God on no merit of our own besides what Christ has done for us. It's simply about knowing Him and being found in Him. And I think one of the most succinct and uh, the best descriptions of what Christ has done for us is in 
excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, speaking of Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it's this great exchange that took place. Christ took all of our sin and all of our, all of our shame upon himself on the cross. In exchange, we received his righteousness. God now looks at you and looks at me, and he doesn't see all those worthless things. He doesn't see all the sin that separates us from God. He sees the perfect obedience of Christ and what God has done for us because we're a part of his family. And so in closing, I just want to encourage you that if you've not made that decision for yourself, if you've not received Christ, if you've been playing this game that somehow our, our, our good works and all of our accomplishments will earn your place in God's family, let's put that aside. Let's realize what, that what Christ has done for us is enough. We don't need some sort of Jesus plus gospel, that idea that we need to somehow add on to the requirements, but simply acknowledge that, that what Christ has done for us, what Christ has done for you and for me is enough. And we need to simply receive that by faith, as Paul says. Obedience will come. Right? There will, you know, as, as we are grow and as we mature in Christ, we'll begin to look more like Him. But that first step is simply acknowledging what He's done for us and receiving that for yourselves by faith. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful of this, for this message that we don't need to earn our salvation. We don't need to earn it, Lord. Even all of the good things that we could possibly do in this life are nothing compared to what you've done for us and in the experience of, of your grace and knowing you. Lord, I pray that, that we can put aside this notion that we earn our love and earn our acceptance in your family and recognize that you are like the, like the father in the story of the prodigal son. You're waiting by the roadside with open arms, waiting for your children to return home. So I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to do that. Have the, have the chance, Lord, now to receive that by faith. Receive the acceptance. Receive what you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, that at that point then we would then begin to live and, and, and work out of what you've done for us, out of the love and mercy and grace that you've already shown us. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and in closing sing Cornerstone which is in your, the words are listed in your bulletin. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, though we trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the
to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.